1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip, this is The Rob Black Show.
2: Welcome in. Another day, another dollar. I like to talk strategies and kind of hints, tips, and tricks, typically for about an hour a day. I'm even thinking about separating a podcast to create one or two that's just hints, tips, and tricks per week. Let me know what you think, Rob at RobBlackShow.com. It's Rob at RobBlackShow.com versus a podcast that's more integrated with what's happening in the current markets and some stock ideas. I see them as two very separate things. It's interesting because CFP, Chad Burton, and myself have worked together for 20 plus years, and I see what he does is very separate, and yet I think there's a need for both. I think I do wealth accumulation. I think he does wealth preservation, broad strokes. And then I want to start a kind of bastard podcast, for lack of a better word. That would be something along the lines of a hints, tips, and tricks. Let me know your thoughts. I can't get the show to be any better without feedback. Otherwise, I'm just living in my world. Anything you ever want to talk about, we could talk about? Um, I think there's big picture questions like Generation Z is the loneliest generation, and it's the fault of the pandemic and the parents. Whoa. Generation Z is more likely to avoid drug use and have lower rates of teen pregnancy. They are savvy consumers of information, user technology. You can see them summed up in TikTok. Um, but loneliness is an issue for them. It's just like in, my, um, in the 1990s. Uh, antidepressants became a very big theme for doctors to prescribe. And the United States rocked number one with France number two. As the nations that consume the most antidepressants, do we think that's going to go away anytime soon? When you look at all the headlines, when you look at our children, Generation Z's pervasive feelings of loneliness likely stem from the widely different formative experience they've had to deal with. They've been doing a uh, Less time doing the little things that make life full. I saw some research on Zoom towns are starting to boom. And you're like, what's a Zoom town? So I try to bring as many reaches into, I guess, trends that could possibly help you. I'm not trying to get you rich quickly in crypto. That's another show. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's going to happen the way you want it to happen. But Zoom towns, I think, are kind of real. I was talking to my kids, and they want me to go back to the studio. And I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of like good life, being able to pick you up from school and things along those lines. Uh, Being able to work a little bit more Zoomy in my Zoom world. Uh, But there's a a little bit of gloss going on out there of what's a Zoom town. Areas in the Mountain West and the South that have way cheaper cost of living. You shouldn't see median home price sales rock. And I get it. Big city paycheck is lovely, but big city paycheck when living in a mid-sized city. So what's the theme? I, I can tell you that's a very big one when it comes to real estate. Would you not say so? Location, location, location. I have some friends. Well, I guess it's just one couple. You can call them friends, right? I know a couple that was completely planning to move to Idaho this summer. Spring slash summer. Buy a house in the spring, move in the summer. And they went for a couple weekends in a row, did a little bit of skiing. And they've decided that it's passed them up. And he makes, they, between the two of them, they're making 350000 And again, I don't do their taxes. But ultimately, they feel that their window closed as higher interest rates moved in. And prices continue to rock higher. The higher interest rate story right now is going to be an interesting one to watch play out in the years to come. Because let me give you some perspective. In the early 2000s, real estate did really, really well with lower interest rates following 9-11. But you also had a Congress that was very much so wanting to see the wealth of the 1990s, the dot-com wealth. They wanted to see that replicated in the middle class and the people who didn't own stocks. So what they highly encouraged bankers and brokers and mortgage companies to do was, make it easier for average people to get above average loans and we started giving away money that was risky and stupid if you've ever listened to some of the mortgage lenders i've had on this show one of the phrases that just it appalls me to even hear used it's almost jokingly bad a liar loan and you go okay rob what's a liar loan liar loan is you fill out a form that's maybe 10 pages no no 10 questions And you get a loan, and a liar loan would be great for people like professional athletes who don't want to go into details of financials or have very complicated financials and a very big paycheck. So, an athlete doesn't have to lie. You could say, "I make three million dollars," and a bank can look at that and go, "Okay, what else you got?" Let's let's check your credit. Okay, that looks good. We're gonna give you the loan. It's a little too simple, and those. Not bad loans, but those riskier loans really, in my opinion, caused the collapse of the 2006-2008 financial system in America, bringing down Bear, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. Countrywide credit, gone. These are major institutions that got into trouble because our Congress basically pushed them into giving loans to people who didn't really deserve them. Now, for the last six years, loans have been tougher and tougher. The rates have been incredibly cheap, but the loans have been really, really tough to the point where I've referred to them as like going to the doctor for that proctology exam where you're like, oh, do I have another form that I have to fill out today? Can you finish up back there and like do the paperwork and submit it, please? So 2000 kind of bred some nasty habits that I think. Help snowball those loans, and they got packaged into other loans, and when one loan falls, it takes down a second one. A second one falls, it takes down the fourth one. So the 2000, the bad loans kind of built a house of cards of if anything bad happens, oh, it'll never happen. It's real estate. If anything bad happens, it brought down the whole industry. So- I bought a home in 2007, 2008 that ultimately was fantastic because there was a flood of homes on the market. As people started feeling the effects of the liar loans, people got into loans who were making $100,000, but they said they made $250,000. They were approved for that $250,000 cash flow. They didn't didn't have it. They wanted the home to go up in value. And this is where the real estate agents and the mortgage brokers deserve to go to prison when they say this. Oh, real estate always goes up. You could just refinance the home in two or three years. That's a bunch of bull. The bankruptcy attorneys in 2006, 2008 were epic. They would come on TV and run commercials. Are you upside down in a mortgage that you can't afford to make your payments in? Call us. We'll negotiate with the lender for you. And it didn't usually play out that smooth or that sweet. Anyhow, I think we're in for an interesting loan period in large part, rates have skyrocketed from 2.5% to 5% in 2022. That's going to create the people who are at 2.5% some great loans the next 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. For the people at 5%, they, they may be chasing a little bit, don't you think? Now, again, long time for this to play out. We're not going to have a report card on it in three months. Doesn't work like that. You can always find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Talk about all strategy, hints, tips, and tricks.
1: The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com.
2: I promise if you listen to the show, I will do my very, very best to try to stimulate your brain a little bit on money issues. We're in earnings season. There's different times on Wall Street. I don't know. Let's see if we can sum them up. Earnings season and in-between earnings season, that matter. Um, in my mind, that's true. But some people would go, oh, fourth quarter and holiday sales. and you know, Gas prices fall during the summer. I, yeah, true. I mean, you can definitely find ways of looking at it. But I always like earnings season. And I highly endorse and recommend you listen to a conference call if you've never, ever done it and you own a company like Apple, find your way onto that conference call. You will not regret it, in my opinion. Everything that you need to know on this show? Um, no. I, I won't ever know you that well. I highly recommend you work with a financial planner that you get to know really, really well, and then you communicate with them. For instance, I recently did some tax work. And last year, I had a big gain in a home that I set aside some cash for the tax payment. He thought I said, save 60% of it. I thought I said, save 100% of it. And it was a conversation that was a little too flip and a little too quick. Was it a mistake? No. Uh, it was it problematic? A little bit. But communication is super important. Um, inflation and retirement is something that has you scratching your head. Like I didn't see this one coming. I just hit retirement and like, everything's more expensive. Good. You should have that question when that happens or wedding costs and coming out of a pandemic. Why are they so much more? Should I go ahead with my pre-pandemic plans that were for X or should I do X plus 20% just to get it over with? Oh, I would never, I would never, ever say that. Let's talk about the one that I threw down first and retirement and inflation. As I've gotten closer to retirement, I want to take better care of my health. Stupid, right? Um, Less drinking, more times of exercise during the day, even if it's not as much as I used to do just more activity. I've got a theory that stairs save save lives. I I used to have this image in my head, like, oh, a big staircase, I'm going to fall down it one day and be dead at the bottom. And now I'm like, I'm going to climb up it every day and get my heart a little bit of a workout. I think having a positive attitude helps when you look at things. Um, But inflation, when you see consumer prices as 2022 gave us of crazy headlines, up 8% in, in cost. You're like, whoa, that's going to make retirement a lot more challenging. And if it doesn't, if that doesn't, if those two things, inflation, and retirement, don't equal like, ooh, in your head, you're missing the big point. So what can you do? I can tell you the no brainer one. I'm not close to 60 yet. I'm still much closer to 50 than I am to 60. But if I were closer to 60, I would have a serious conversation with my wife, my spouse, my sugar booger, my beau. I wrote a, I wrote a horrible, horrible poem in high school. The word beau brings it up. Um, and I was, had a crush on a girl and she had a crush on a boy before me. And she was just never over him. I wrote a poem. Of, it went like this. Walking in the shadows of a beau once loved. I'm like, oh, that's so bad and so good all at the same time. I was delicious. Okay, 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 okay. So I sat down with my sugar bugger. And if I was like pushing 60, I'd say, okay, I think we're going to need to work a little bit longer because you and I had a plan for 30 years. And we said, you know, X amount of dollars. Um, And we did great during that period of time. We did better than expected. But now recent inflation has me concerned. Inflation means food cost. Inflation means cost of a home, cost of a car, cost of electricity. If you take a look at PG&E's rate rate hikes in the last 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, they're growing faster than wages. And it's alarming. Recently with wildfires and getting out of the business of of settling lawsuits with, with cities after they burned down due to power lines, Rates keep going higher and higher. So when I'm 75, I'm still going to want electricity for the TV. Maybe not for the pool. Maybe I'm going to want. I know you're saying electricity for the pool. Are you trying to kill your sugar? Maybe. Marin woman mysteriously electrocuted in swimming pool. Financial planner husband says, "Hmm, hmm." Scooby Doo on the case. Okay, so the conversation that I had with her was: we need to extend how long I work, because the longer I work, the less we draw down. And the longer I work, the less we draw down, the, the least likely that we'll need to draw on Social Security as well. So every year that I go past 62, 63, 64, 65, I get an extra 8% from Social Security. Now I know you're saying this is really simple math, Rob. Is it that easy? Well, if costs are going up and in inflation seven and a half, eight percent, and your benefits are going up eight percent, you're you're in a little bit better of a position. You're not out of it yet, but you're in a little bit better of a position. So, if you can delay until seventy, you're going to feel good. If you're skinny and you're having problems, meet you know all, all your bills. You're going to be tempted to take Social Security early. You get an 8% raise every year for delaying it until 70. Then there's no reason to not take it because it doesn't get a rise. Yet or for now. With my sugar bugger, I've done things recently, and we're not fearing inflation and fearing retirement, but we are fearing inflation and overspending coming out of a pandemic. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to cancel every monthly digital service because you can. And then we're going to sign up for the ones that we want, but we're going to do it better this time. During the pandemic, we're like, oh, there's a show on Disney Plus I want to see. Sign up. Oh, there's a show on ESPN Plus I want to see. Sign up. And then suddenly we have this little world of subscriptions and there's an app that'll help you scour for your subscriptions on your uh, bank accounts. I highly recommend I highly recommend because one thing you got to get good practice at is reviewing your budget on a regular basis. Uh, When I first met my spouse, I gave her, this is what we spent last year. This is what we made. I don't intimidate her with, you know, 150 pages of taxes, but we do review a budget and I ask kindly, can we be a little bit soft on the big expenditures? Some quarters. When my budget's not quite right. If it, if it my, if this quarter has a big vacation in it, I'm also not doing a big roof replacement. I like moderation and moderation, even in my spending. So another thing you could do if you're freaked out by heading towards retirement and seeing inflation is keep your portfolio more balanced and try to get it more consistent in good times and bad times. So bad times would be inflation. Good times would be when stock markets hit an all time high. Eh, You're maybe not hitting an all-time high every day, but you're more balanced. Cash on hand will actually help you stay invested, so you don't have to divest of any assets if you need money. Cash is a losing bet against inflation. I have cash at an account called Flourish. I highly recommend you work with a CFP before following in my footsteps. It is an online bank their annual percentage rate that they're giving for cash is almost one half of 1%, which is way better than Bank of America, Wells Fargo, or do my local state banks would give me, or federal banks. So I have some cash there. It's not earning a lot. If inflation's at 7% and my cash is at one half of 1%, I'm nipping away at it. But my cash isn't meant to, to keep up with it. When it comes to dividends, focus on raising dividend stocks, companies that have a history of raising, meeting, beating, rising, raising, those are words you want to hear in your conference calls. So you're not looking for the highest dividend rate. I can find one for you, 5%, but the risk to the equity is crazy. I'd rather have a company that has a 2.5% dividend that's kept it there for 25 years I'm not looking for the highest return on my cash. I'm looking for the most consistent return on my cash. Because cash is supposed to be a loser compared to bonds. Bonds are supposed to be a loser compared to real estate. Roughly they Bonds typically beat real estate, but not recently. But historically. And then stocks tend to outperform all of them. Now, again, if you're a bad stock picker, you're like, well, stocks suck uh i'm better at real estate you you just said it you're better at real estate i get it but it's not that stock It's that you're no good at it that's why i always recommend working with a financial planner if you can get over this um like first time i ever had an uber driver i'm like i can get in a car and drive myself i'm like that's actually kind of nice to have a little bit of a buzz after a bar having someone else drive me home sometimes you got to give up a little control if you need a financial planner contact me Retirement and inflation don't have to be, not a death sentence. It doesn't have to be maudlin. It doesn't have to be negative. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show, talking about money, super important, whether it's your sugar booger or your financial planner. I'm Rob Black.
0: Questions about how to invest in your retirement? Check out robblackshow.com and get in on the conversation. Subscribe to the podcast and video channels. No one cares more about your money than you do. It's time to start to feel good about your financial future. Robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com.
2: I like reading a lot. It'd probably be my worst nightmare to go blind. I know you're saying, Rob, that's not, you can't say that because there's people who are blind. Like, okay, it's probably my biggest insecurity. One of the things I was reading over the weekend was I was looking at venture venture capital funding and where it's going. You know where the most dollars are going is probably where we're going to see the most action of companies being formed. Companies needing access to capital, venture capital, they get it and they, they have a great idea and they try to blow it up. Now some of it turns out into Thranos and an awful company committing fraud, and some of them turn into. Wildly successful corporations. Most companies fail when you're talking about venture capital, or they sell what they have to someone bigger right before they fail. In 2000, when the stock market crashed, it probably saved Wall Street a lot of lawsuits because a lot of dot com companies went bust. And as they were going bust, they sold to Yahoo and Google and anyone else that would take their assets whether they be digital or real. But right now, the funding is going in digital health, $6 billion in the last quarter, 183 deals. That lagged behind last year in the same quarter. If you dig deeper into the data, 60% of physicians say bureaucratic tasks contribute the most to their burnout. So there's something called DeepScribe. And deepscribe is a category of venture capital funding in the digital healthcare landscape. Physicians are spending more time on their in their hands um, filling out forms. Than they are with patients, so trying to automate paperwork is a big area of of cash flow right now. Elsewhere in digital healthcare, that's doing well is fertility and reproductive health. Uh, I don't know if we all have a friend, but I can tell you that I have a friend that went through three years of fertility and reproductive um, issues trying to get pregnant. They spent a lot of money. Uh, That treatment's not cheap. And it's not covered. And when you're all said and done, if you don't get a baby, you don't get a baby they ultimately went the fostering route as well as trying to have sex every weekend, as well as uh, every other baby making scheme that they could do from juices to ovulation timing and situations like that, which is kind of interesting to note that if you dig deep into your Apple health watch, you could, you could have it monitor your ovulations. And I'm like, do I need to fill this out for me? Or is that for you (laughs) kind of thing? I'm just trying to get you to giggle for a second. But fertility pulled in $424 million of the six most funded treatment areas. So, IVF is a multi million dollar industry. Fertility treatments are very costly for patients. The more personalized fertility, the lower it'll cost patients in the long run. The average couple spends about $19,000 on each cycle. My friends went through three cycles, so almost $60,000. And since they were in the Bay Area, it was probably considerably higher. And then they got a perfect kid whose mother put him up for adoption the day he was born. So they essentially got a newborn. They'll have some issues with that, I'm sure. Um, but IVF wasn't going to work, didn't work for him, So they gave up and they agreed to foster. They never had to foster a child. If you foster a child in California, if there's a child that comes up for adoption, you're allowed to go for them. So that worked out well for them. 83% of healthcare consumers are already using digital health tools to track fertility, which means there's a high consumer awareness. Um, So following the money is a very, very smart thing to do. So in three years from now, when we're talking about IVF, a new company is coming public that can promise you to have a baby after only one treatment. And if they don't, they'll give you your money. But like that's how good it's going to get. I don't know. That's true. But that's where the, the big stocks are going to be in the stories. And you hear stories like Oprah, I try to get pregnant so many times. If I had just used your IVF treatment, I would have done it. These are some of Oprah's favorite things. Um, prices are going to keep rising in 2022. That's it gets worse before it gets better because things tend to rise in clumps and they tend not to roll back that old Walmart commercial. You saw where a happy face was dancing through the store and rolling back prices. It doesn't happen like that. Typically. So I've recently been been playing with the Robinhood app. I'm not doing any trades on Robinhood because I'm not allowed to, but they're the top two platforms right now, Fidelity and Robinhood in online trading. Both offer commission-free stocks, ETFs, and options. The two differ when it comes to fees, available investment, and account types, features, and much, much more. I think, in my opinion, if I were to give you a review right now, Fidelity is the best choice for most types of investors, whether you're a beginner or experienced trader active or infrequent investor, hands-off investor, the brokerage count option is, is good for most. If you like investment perks like zero expense ratio index funds, I still say Fidelity. But Robinhood is the better choice for frequent traders and option traders, crypto traders who want a simple investing interface that makes it more gamey. Robinhood charges zero dollars per options contract, and it offers more than ten cryptocurrencies. There's no reason for me to use Robinhood unless I wanted to do options in crypto. The better app is Fidelity. The better paperwork is Fidelity. But again, we'll get into a more deep down dive into apps. I'm going to tinker with the show's content, and uh, I hope you're along for the ride. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.
1: Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show.
2: Joining me now, Ronwin Schoen, CFP with EP Wealth in the Bay Area. I'm Rob Black, talking about a topic that it's kind of a curveball, maybe. It's something I never thought was going to be a financial topic, but fire season. A few years ago, my in-laws lost their home to a fire and it was nothing but a thing. It was no big deal. The ugly pictures of my wife from her childhood with the big thick glasses were lost, but everything else was kind of okay. The insurance went fine, but it was stressful for people who didn't have a financial plan, who didn't have an emergency plan, who didn't know things could go wrong. Bronwyn, let's talk a little bit about fire season or maybe wildfires in general or disasters, hurricanes. It's all part of a financial plan in a a weird kind of way. What do we need to know about fire season?
1: As a financial planner, part of our job is to not only make sure that you're you're increasing your wealth, but protecting your wealth. And that's where insurance comes in. At EP, we do a great job. Our financial planning team does a fantastic job of looking through those policies and identifying any gaps. So that you correct them so you can get more insurance if it's needed or uh, decide if you're going to self-insure that kind of thing. So the important things I think that clients should know is to know what you have, look at your policies and nobody really wants to read an insurance policy. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that you read it word for word, but maybe get on the phone with your agent and ask them what happens if I lose my house? How does this actually all play out? Recent disasters have shown us that people were kind of caught unaware. They thought they were going to get more coverage from their insurance than they actually did. and they, it's because they didn't know what they had. So it's very important to to understand the limits of your policy. And I know I know people are very cost conscious when it comes to getting insurance. and if that's if saving money on insurance is what is important to you, know that you might be compromising some coverage.
2: It's interesting to note, you brought up one of the simpler things that is so easy to do in this day and age because of digital cameras, but document your belongings.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, is that literally going around your house with you know a cell phone, taking pictures, yeah. uploading it to the cloud so exactly. that when it comes to the insurance, covering it or not, you go, proof, I did have a 30-inch TV, I, 30-inch TV, a 30-inch monitor, a 60-inch TV. <laughs> what kind of world am I living in with a 30-inch TV? <laughs> Let's talk about documenting. Any thoughts?
1: Yes, definitely. And this is such an easy, easy thing to do. But the reason for doing it is if you do lose everything and your in-laws probably experience this, you need to, you know, in order to get the insurance company to pay you back, you produce receipts, you need to document, you need to show that you, you lost something and that you just recovered it. So going around your house with your smartphone and narrating what's in each room. And I do this every fire season now. It's so easy and it's so quick, and it can it can really save you. Um, I'll give you an example of of how documentation can help. I've had two clients um, in my career lose their homes to fire. Right. And in one case, the it's it was very sad. The home had just recently been remodeled. It was a dream home, retirement mm-hmm. home. They remodeled it, and, they, and it burned literally to the ground. My client had very little warning. She had uh, just a few minutes to gather her belongings or most important precious items before she left. One of the things that she grabbed was a photo album that showed the entire remodel. So there was pictures, pictures of the house before, pictures of the house after. And that ended up being incredibly valuable for that claims experience with the insurance company.
2: It's interesting that you know that. And um, one of the things, my financial planner, I work with Brad at EP Wealth. And um, I think Brad has a computer system that says, let's talk about insurance. And three yeah. months later, he's like, let's talk about estate planning. Three months later, let's talk about portfolio allocation. I get a regular call and I hate, like you said, reviewing insurance policies, but mm-hmm. it is, they're, they're not bad people. And working with a great group, like I work with USA, I feel comfortable. But one thing that I forget is building costs go up. And Brad's like you may want to up your, your, how much it's going to cost to rebuild because lumber is a lot more expensive than it used mm-hmm. to be. And labor is a lot more expensive. And you're gonna have to wait two or three years for a cheap contractor versus an expensive contractor.
1: Yeah. Any
2: thoughts on, um, that, that updating <laughs> you know, like it's review, like when do you do it? Do you want to do it every Christmas? Do you do it every other Christmas? fire season? What, what's the, the the time to remember?
1: At least every two or three years, okay. I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and we would really like to put something in place as well where we're touching on that subject and reviewing those policies on a regular basis and it's true the the rebuild costs can really skyrocket many insurance policies have something um, for they call it demand surge so that's that's part of the that can be part of your policy you want to make sure you have that that protection.
2: Rodwin Schoen is a CFP she works with e EU- P wealth in the Bay area. She does things like this. It's critically important to protect your wealth as well as manage your wealth and make sure it lasts your whole lifetime. She's a financial planner. She can meet with you. She could start the review process sooner rather than later. You can find her online at epwealth.com. That's epwealth.com. She's got a cool name, Bronwyn <laughs> shown, and you can find her at epwealth. You can also contact her through me, Rob at robblackshow.com
1: irreverent over the top and smart as a whip this is the rob black show
2: three-star
0: general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells